It's not like all we want to do with our time is sit on the beach with a margarita. I think you you actually tried that. You tried that. You tried getting out I of the did. rat race. I, I tried to bypass this entire system. I went yeah. straight to the margarita on the beach. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's not that fulfilling. This is Show Your Business Who's Boss. Listen in on behind-the-scenes, unfiltered conversations with my favorite business owner friends who take charge and make their businesses work for them. Don't just be your own boss. Show your business who's boss. I'm Pia Silva. On today's episode, I'm talking to my dear friend, writer, editor, and boss of her business, Natasha Lekic. Natasha is the owner of New York Book Editors, a premier affiliation of professional editors and copy editors to help authors meet their writing goals. Her editors have worked for Penguin Random House, HarperCollins, Simon & Schuster. Their book list includes New York Times bestsellers and winners of the Pulitzer Prize, plus my book, Badass Your Brand, so I can personally attest to how badass her business really is. On top of that, her business gives her a beautiful lifestyle. Her business is lean and full of automation and systems that, as she puts it, renders her basically useless. She has one full-time employee, one part-time employee, and the other 35 people that work for her are contractors, and she brings in about $750,000 a year. Last year, she did it while taking two full months off to travel to seven different countries. Plus, she's one of my only business owner friends that, whenever I text her midday or midweek, I'm actually surprised if she's working. How's that for putting your business in its place? We spoke recently, and in our conversation, we covered topics such as imposter syndrome, something almost every entrepreneur I meet struggles with, including both of us, why Natasha built her business without using her face or name, and why she's now starting to put herself in front of her brand, how mistakes hold us back and how we can use them to actually propel us forward, and the benefits of knowing what you actually value in life so you can prioritize your business and life around that. So buckle up. Here we go. Welcome to Show Your Business Who's Boss, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. Okay. So Natasha, the reason that I was so excited to have you on here specifically is because to me, you are such a boss of your business because you are really clear about your ultimate goals. I know that you know what you want your business to do. You seem completely emotionally detached from your business. I don't know how that's possible, <laughs> but in the best way, I mean that in the best way, because you're so logical and you try things and you invest and you do all these really bold things and you seem to be, you're just cool as a cucumber. And to me, that's a level of being boss that I will always aspire to because that's just not in my personality. You do whatever you want to do all the time, but I'm just curious what you think of that. Cause I guess I've never said that to you. No, no, this is all new to me. Wow. Is it? Yeah. I, I mean, to some extent, I, I, I certainly understand why, why you would think I'm emotionally detached. And I think I am to, to some degree, definitely compared with a lot of, you know, people. Me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. But I think, and, and I don't think, I think that you've actually achieved the last part of what you said. I think you said that I'm, you know, able to do what I want. You've done that to a far greater extent than I have. Yes. That's, listen, every time I chat with you, you're like about to go on some amazing 
exploration of some crazy place or you just came back from doing some crazy frog poison NLP spiritual journey or something. You're just like constantly doing all these things that to me that says that you know what you value in life and your business works for you to give you the opportunity to do all of those things. Right. Yeah, I, I do. I do feel like I, I tend to prioritize them. But here's here's the backstory. Here's the real story. Oh. So so last year, you're right. You know, I went on quite a few trips. Where'd you then, go? Where did we go? Jordan, Lebanon. We went to Sri Lanka. We went to Guatemala. We went to India. <laughs> oh, yeah, we went to Montenegro. How can I forget with you? That was last year. Uh I know. I just got like a little sliver of your travel life last year when I met you in Montenegro. Wow. Yeah. When I listed all out, that was an epic year. Yeah. That's not, that's not a regular year. And you know, what happened was we'd actually redone our entire website, which is a big deal for us in, um, I think September, October of last year. And things were not going very well with that site. Then in December, disaster struck. We had our worst month, I think, since the big, since the inception of the company. Right after you redid the site. Yeah, soon after we did, redid the site. Yeah, I mean, it had, been, it had been declining, and then December, it was awful, 2019. Yeah. Wow, that hurts, because I know you invested a lot of time and money in redoing the site. Yes. But it's the site that it is now. It is the site that it is now. Which is awesome. Some, Your site is beautiful. Well, with some technical tweaks. So the form had not been performing properly. Right. Right. But also then, so in January, I mean, you can imagine, I felt like I just have to do everything. I have to work weekends. I have to figure this out. I have to, you know, bring it back at least to where it was. I mean, it was like disaster had struck. So, and then I blamed myself because, oh, look, I'd finally, and I had to convince myself to have that year, to have 2019. You know, that was okay. a very conscious decision. This year, I'm going to travel and I'm going to do all these things that, I mean, that was the whole intention behind, you know, having a business is having that ability to do more of that. And, yeah. and, and you had I, gotten to a place, sorry to cut you off, but yeah. you had gotten to a place where that made sense for you. And then you chose to redo your website. Yes. Why did you choose to redo the website if, it, if you already had this business that was affording you that life? Because, you know, in the interest of trying to grow and trying to improve things, and it was an outdated site, it was five years old. Um, oh, and let's, let's clarify here. So you, how do you get the majority of your business? It's not like most of the people that I work with, actually. That's why the site is so important. A lot of it is organic traffic, along with obviously the referrals, author yeah. referrals, agent referrals. But a lot of it is also organic traffic. I think I, tr I ch tried earlier today. I Googled book editor, and I think you come up for book editor. Really? That's I nice. Think so. I mean, maybe it knows that I'm in New York. It probably, it, you've probably been to the site before. Maybe that affected it. I've definitely been to the site before. Does that affect it? Okay. Yeah, it might. It might. Well, either way, I mean, New York book editors, I don't think that that's a good strategy these days, but you've owned that URL for so long that you right. really, it really does work in your favor. Plus you have so much content. Right. Well, the, uh, the reason it 
it, it completely does work in my favor. And the first thing I did even before starting the business was take an SEO course, which led me to change the name. It was supposed to be something like book doctors <laughs> originally, but it also can't be trademarked. We have a type of trademark on it, which isn't fully effective, but because it's it's sort of a generic term. So that's mm -hmm. something for your audience to think about as well. Mm -hmm. It can't be trademarked. And that's why we have a lot of our competitors have ads saying New York book editors. <gasps> even, so even if people search for New York book editors, they have to go past the ads. Whoa. To get to us. Yeah. So you really don't know how much business that's taking from you because you can't test it. Yeah. That's one downside. We've had Google mm -hmm. say, why don't you, you can be at the top if you pay for ads for New York book editors. And I said, no. Gotcha. But regardless, you still have tons of traffic going to your site. Obviously, that went yeah. down in December. Yes, yes. But you got it back up. How'd you, how'd you get it back up? Yes. The traffic didn't go down, but the conversions, the conversions went down. So oh. the form had technical issues, which we resolved. And, and now, it's, now it's going well again. It took a long time for... You know how it is. You, you have all these people saying, I'm having trouble filling this out. It's not working for me. And if you re can't recreate the problem and the developers can't recreate the problem, then they're like, well, you know, they're using an old browser. Right. All these people uh, are suddenly using old browsers <laughs> right. or doing something wrong, you know? So it, it took a while, unfortunately. That's tough because the, the heart of your business is really in the hands of technical people. It's not you. To a great extent. Yeah. 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 But you started shifting your marketing last year. When did you start doing videos? This year. Really? This, just this year? Just this year. Oh, yeah. We've been talking about it for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Much like this podcast, we've been talking about it. Yes. Yes. I don't know. For, you've been telling me for years that, you know, I the business needs a face. It needs a personal brand. Oh, yeah. Well, I've always thought that you should be the face of your business. And I know you've resisted that. But you started with videos that weren't you, didn't you? Or was the videos are all you? The videos were initially all interviews. So I was on them. But that's a great point. So we had two camera angles. And I said, instead of having one on me, I said one should be on both. And then the other one should be on the interviewee. So even then, when I finally started doing videos, I was trying to reduce, you know, the amount of time I spent on camera. Why is that? Why is that? I felt like, you know, it's imposter syndrome. Why are you making me say it, Pia? <laughs> say it. Um, I was just talking about imposter syndrome on, on, the, on one of my earlier episodes because I have it all the time. Everyone does. That's, a sh that's shocking. That's shocking. I think, okay, you have it far less than anyone else. I know. You have no idea what I have in here. <laughs> <laughs> you have no idea. I have some idea. Look, I don't think that's a that I I don't think that's a bad thing. I I think anybody I know for a fact that and there are people who are way ahead of me in terms of their visibility and thought leadership that I have also expressed to me personally in private how much imposter syndrome they experience. And I think the same thing and what I've grown to realize by hearing that from so many different people is if you're an entrepreneur and you're pushing, you're always pushing yourself to a place you haven't been. So there's an uh, imposter syndrome is going to be a natural piece of that. It, you don't have imposter syndrome if you just stay where you are, because eventually you are very comfortable that you've been there. But if you're going somewhere a little bit farther, 
you haven't done it yet. I mean, isn't that just a natural way that our brains would operate? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But I think that even sometimes continuing to do what you're doing includes a struggle with imposter syndrome. I don't know if you've ever had that, but even, so I worked in traditional publishing before starting NYBE and I still, I was a managing editor, which means I, I've edited books, but I was more on the business side. That's, that was my role. And so I felt like I couldn't really weigh in on people's books. You know, I had had this experience and yet I just felt like I would be a fraud if I tried to give people feedback. In your company? Yes. So I deferred to wow. the- Even though that's what you were doing. Even though that's what I had been doing professionally, but I yeah. felt like I hadn't been doing it enough. Uh, you know, I didn't even reach the minimum that we require our editors to have, which is four okay. years of editorial experience. Okay. <laughs> well, that's cool. You hired a bunch of people who had more experience than you in the thing exactly. that you were hiring them to do. Yeah. I think that's yeah. Well, the yeah. smartest thing. And so I felt like, no, they know far more than I do. Who am I to either speak on their behalf or to, you know, it was a, it was a very, very sort of, and all of this wasn't with subconscious, right? I mean, I don't even know what mm -hmm. my response was when, when you'd asked me why I wasn't more visible in the business. Yeah. I don't remember. I just but, feel like you weren't that interest. You said you weren't interested, maybe. Yeah. And that's an excuse, right? Yeah. And, well, because now you started and you're awesome. Oh, you, thanks. <laughs> you're so adorable. Is that okay? Can I say yes. that you are so adorable? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you should go watch Natasha on camera. She's amazing and very engaging. And that's why I kept telling you, you'd be great on camera and that people will fall in love with you. And you're already, you built this whole business around basically a faceless company called New York Book Editors, which I would never recommend calling your company, New York Book Editors, which is generic, and then having a faceless company. But you did it. You start, how long ago did you start this business? Seven years. Seven years ago. Okay. So you did it seven years. And over those seven years, especially because you also built your whole business starting around SEO, you played the Google game right. I mean, you have tons of traffic. Your, your, your messaging is on point. And that, that is the machine that, that, brings you clients. Plus, of course, you guys do a great jobs. So you get a lot of referrals. If someone were to start that business now, I think it would be a lot harder. Yes. Much I harder. Think the timing was key. That was everything. I think it is much harder right now. But I also think that there, and I'm starting, we're starting to see that, that there's opportunity for growth once I put myself mm -hmm. in front of it. Yeah. Right. I mean, you got this great machine and now Natasha, the star <laughs> who can come out here and give such great insights and advice. And we're all going to, because the reason, and I'm excited to follow along on your journey since you really just started with the videos a couple months ago. Yes. And because I can see the future and I know what they're going to do for your business. I'm excited for us to keep checking in <laughs> over the yeah. course of the next year to see what happens. Because I just know that once somebody sees you and they, they build that trust and relationship with you they're 10 times more likely to want to hire your company. I think you're right. I mean, as you mentioned, these are early days and there's not a ton of data, but we're already seeing something. I mean, first of all, the comments under the videos are so heartwarming. And oh, someone really? actually used the same language. She said, oh, I'm so excited to, to be on this journey early with you and to watch your subscribers grow. And yeah. And oh, really? 
That's was so nice. Yeah, <laughs> there are. I mean, there are such sweet comments that I end up sending some screenshotting some of them and sending them to my mom. <laughs> <laughs> but it oh, is it, it has opened up this connection, you know, yeah. to to our audience, which we never had before. I mean, even our articles are are written by other people. So this mm-hmm. is the first time mm-hmm. that, that I'm writing articles occasionally and weighing in. Yeah. I mean, we, as the customers, if we can connect with the owner, that's going to create a much stronger relationship. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, and I'll tell you something else that was, so I, I had interviews with, I mean, I feel like they were really great interviews. I, I had know, one, I was one of them. It yes. Was that was fantastic. <laughs> Anyone the best one, a book? No. <laughs> Absolutely. With you, with another author, with an independent publisher, with a literary agent. And then after all those, I, they just take a lot of time. So I decided to do one myself because it was easier. And it had double the number of views that any of the interviews had had, you know, and that was a shock. I don't really know what to attribute that to, but then I kept doing those solo videos and it kept Mm -hmm. hitting the same numbers. It would get a thousand views in a couple of days. So are you starting to have less imposter syndrome? You're getting a lot of great validation here. I mean, high hits, great comments. People love you. And even even people writing in, so submitting for uh, their work for an edit, there was a comment yesterday that said, "I, I came to you guys indirectly through Natasha's awesome videos. Oh my God, that's yeah. so awesome yeah. to yeah. hear. You've only published a couple of videos and that already happened? Yes, crazy. What, what's so exciting about that, Natasha, is that those videos are forever. I mean, mm-hmm. those videos are going to send you clients for years to come. Yeah, yeah. And you're only going to make more of them. What do you mean? I thought I was done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You will make more of them. I will make sure of it. I will. But but this is just, you know, I think it's it's just so shocking what a difference it's made. I mean, and as you mentioned, I just started a, a couple of months ago. There are very few videos. I think I, I did my fourth one last week, you know, and to see the, these reactions is really, it's a big deal. Yeah. Well, I'm so I'm excited to hear that you got those early wins too, because I think a lot of people put themselves out there and I know, I mean, I feel the same way. It's like you kind of need a couple wins to keep going Yeah. because if you just start putting yourself out there and you don't get any feedback, yeah. it, can, it can be hard to keep going because there's really a ramp up here. I mean, think about, I'm just picturing you. That's why I'm saying it'll be exciting to follow, follow your journey in six months. If you have another, I don't know, 20, 40, 100 videos out there, just imagine what kind of brand building that does for you. And of course, then you need your book and then you need your speaking. Of course. <laughs> yes, of course. You need your, your course and your book and then you can go on the road. We can go on the road together and we can do, we can tag team our speeches. Yay. <laughs> that would be fun. But just imagine, I mean, you know, if there's a hundred videos of you giving insights on publishing and writing a book and, and characters and all the great stuff that you're uh, sharing, how could that not blow your business up? Yeah, I know. But I think you said something really important, which is that, you know, it was lucky that I had this kind of confirmation early on. And I think that's because of our existing audience, Mm -hmm. because I was able to leverage that and and notify them about the videos. 
but I think that it's also, even if you don't have an audience, it's, it's important to stick with it, you know? Yeah. Because it, it, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard. I know because I coach a lot of people in that situation where they're starting with no audience. And part of the reason I, I engage with them for usually six months to a year at a time is because they need the push to get through that hump. Right. Because you've got to start creating content. As much as you are new to YouTube in this year, you're not new to content. You have so much content on your website. Yeah. Um, so much great content on your website and so many great, I don't want to call them freebies, but you've got a lot of great free content that people can download too, right? Yeah. 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 So you've built such a, a, a foundation that this will just skyrocket. I'm excited for you. And I want you to write that book. Like you have, I mean, I know you're writing a book and it's not the book I'm talking about. What's yeah. your book? Oh, you, oh, no, you're going to tell us too much about it. My book I is, know. yeah, my book is fiction. It's a YA fantasy. So it, it really has nothing to do with the business, but it, it does get me closer to our audience, right? Because I'm, I have the same struggles. Mm. And when I'm talking on these videos, it's about things I'm learning as well. And so, you know, I, I feel like I'm really striking home when it comes to the, the problems that they have with writing. Or I hope I am. It seems like I am. Wow. I hadn't even thought of that. So, I mean, you're writing this book because this is something you want to do, but actually this is going to help your business. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I am a struggling writer now as well. Right. You know, early, and in the same way as, you know, our audiences, because most of our audience has a full-time job during the day, like I do. So, you know, they wake up really early to snatch an hour or two to write. And it's the same thing that I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can relate because I've done this. I've done similar things. I mean, that's part of why I wrote my own book too. I mean, I wanted to write a book, but part of why I self-published was just to see what that looked like and what that took. And I marketed the crap out of it because I wanted to see what it meant to market your own book and how far I could go so I could turn around and give advice to my clients because a lot of my clients are the kind of people who will self-publish a book. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that that, to me, that's also kind of showing your business who's boss. It's about learning and growing in ways that might be tangential to what you're doing, but actually bring so much value to the thing, the core service that you're offering. I totally agree. That was beautifully said. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even thought of that, that you were, that you're really becoming your own client. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that was always me and Steve's goal. We actually said it like that. We want to be our own client. When it comes to marketing. Yeah. Had, like, yeah. You were learning, and, and, you know, in, in real life, obviously, in a really real way, what works and what doesn't versus, you know, some service providers have never used their own stuff on themselves. I know. Number one mistake right there. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people, I mean, I, I talk about this as the, the people kind of proudly say, shoemaker's son has no shoes, right? Oh, my website sucks, but I do websites for others. I'm like, man, no. that is your biggest opportunity. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> no. Wandering it. Yeah. There's, there's so much that comes from, from doing it yourself and, and, and gleaning whatever you can from that and showing it to others. I think the other thing that, that I've heard from people when it comes to personalizing the brand is that it needs to, so, and I know that you've, you, you've said the website looks good, but also that it's cold. I think you agreed. Someone else told me this and you agreed. Well, it'd be warmer if it was your smiling face on the homepage. Well, this is what I've been told. 
Uh-huh. And I've been told this by many people that I need yeah. to be on the homepage, that it's we'll get there. that right now it's a faceless entity. And uh, yeah, so, but given, you know, what I'm learning through the videos, I'm, I'm up for that. <laughs> Your website looks like a really substantial company. I don't know if that was the intention or not, but it like, like a big comp- company. Yeah. That, and that, I think that works against it. I think that it's, that wasn't the intention. I think it was just a, you know, I mean, it's shameful to say, but I think it was just sort of an imitation game. Oh, all these startups are doing, you know, these cool illustrations and it's very clean and minimalistic and that's a modern site. And that's what I wanted. I wanted a modern site that mm-hmm. was sort of easier to use that broke down the process more. And, and I think that for many I've heard from people writing in that it sort of, it doesn't embody how they saw us, at least with the old site. They said, you know, the old site just seems so literary and, and very New Yorky, and it seemed, right. yeah. Yeah. Well, I know when you were thinking about redoing it, I think I asked you like, why? And you, I think you probably said something like, well, it's just it needs to be redone. It's why didn't you push back, Pia? I did. <laughs> you are your own woman, Natasha. I said, well, you got to know why you're redoing it because that is going to be what drives the redesign is yeah. what the purpose of the redesign is. Yeah, because your old site was was nice too. Yeah. It's you there's nothing wrong with your site, but I I would completely agree as somebody who was a client of yours that the reason you guys are so great is because of the people and because, you know, my editor was amazing and so thoughtful and warm and easy to work with. And she really got me. And and that's really what it's about. It's about working with an editor who really cares about your book and is going to get in the weeds with you. And that's a really highly personal thing, probably even more personal when it's a fiction book. Mine is nonfiction, but I had a lot of personal stories in there. So that's a super personal service. And you know what? Most services are. I mean, any service where you're working with an individual or a business is highly personal. That's why the personal branding, I think, is so valuable. And that's the thing that differentiates you from bigger companies. Right. That's basically the only thing, right? Why else would people go with you? Because you're small and you care. You have that one-on-one. You have, you know, that small group of people who were chosen so carefully because because your team is, you know, really small. You you haven't you don't have VC money and weren't grow had didn't have to grow like crazy to hundreds of people. All right, um, throw it out. We're redoing your website. <laughs> <laughs> it's just going to be Natasha's face book all call. over all, there are many different poses <laughs> let's get up the photo just, here's me in Sri Lanka here's me in Montenegro <laughs> I'm writing my book different okay. brands from yours Pia <laughs> different, sorry right oh, sorry that's my brand well, we can dive into that in a different episode we'll do a whole episode just about your brand and what it needs to embody <gasps> That would be great. Should we do that. A tear down. That would be awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm more like a build up, but yeah, we'll have to tear a few things down before we build it up. That's how, um, well, I think in terms of editing, you know, you do a lot of cuts. So, right. right. Yeah. The other thing, actually, I wanted to mention since mm-hmm. we've been doing this personalization, these videos and everything, is that our submissions, I looked at it before this call, are up 10% over really? the last month. Yeah which is from when we've been tracking it properly. Okay. So in the last month, 
your submissions went up, which 100%. is basically the lifetime of the quarantine as of the taping of this. Yes, that okay. is also. <laughs> so let's so let's talk about that because you and I. So over the course of a year, you and I will have intermittent five-hour conversations, <laughs> but we're not necessarily in constant contact. Ever since this happened and we went into quarantine, you and I have been texting constantly <laughs> about yeah. our businesses, about articles, stats, conspiracy theories, yeah. run the gamut. So I've been kind of following your temperature. And this is also a, a great indication of how you and I approach our businesses differently because and you tell me if you remember it differently, but I remember that when it first happened, I was like, Natasha, are you worried? What's going to happen to your business? And you were like, I'm not worried. No, no problem. I don't, I don't see why this would affect my business. That's what I remember first. I'll let you, I'll let you correct me if I'm wrong. You're, you're, you're right. And that was, that was foolish in retrospect, but you're right. That was absolutely no. my response. Yeah. Okay. So that's in what you fact, said. In fact, I said, <laughs> I think this might be good for you and me, Pia. Do you remember that part? People I, are sitting I, at home. They're, right. they're writing more. They're online more. They'll need online courses. They'll, the digital products should do well. Yes. And this was like day one. This was, so this is why I love you. And this is why I called you first. Because you were like, no, this is going to be great for business. And then maybe a couple weeks later, I don't remember when, you were like, oh, three clients. Something happened. They they pat they didn't want three clients in a row did not want to see the proposal even. They said, you know, I'm you know, I'm worried about finances given this environment, and I feel like I don't want to make that investment. Right. Which is an understandable Absolutely. thing to hear from clients. So that's when I got the text from you like, up. Oh, Maybe I was wrong. <laughs> maybe maybe this is totally going to kill my business. But here we are just a few weeks after that. And you're telling me actually in the last month, submissions are up 10%. And I think you said yesterday that your sales or your your submission rate and sales have basically just not changed. Is that Yes. Sales have not changed. Yeah. Sales have not changed. Right. So <clears throat> this is the difference between you and me is that when this happened, I immediately went into triage mode and was like, I need to change things and I need to change my message. And I went into this crazy thing with the webinar. I think you remember, I was like, I'm doing this, redoing this webinar, come hell or high water for the next four days, I'm not sleeping. And you were like, mm, I think things are fine. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> and now, because you didn't do anything, now you know that it didn't really affect your business. But if you had done what I did and it had affected your business, this is what I was thinking when you told me that yesterday. If, if you had changed a bunch of stuff and then your business went down, you wouldn't have known. That's true. I didn't think about that. That's true. Are you, is that what you're thinking now that you don't know the difference? Um, well, no, because there's some extenuating circumstances in it, but but it was a lesson to me. And actually, it's what Steve said to me, too. He was like, nothing's happened yet. We need to just wait and see what happens before we make changes. You know, this is very similar to me changing the website. You, I mean, your your reaction was why? You know, what's, what's wrong with how it's going? And what's wrong with the status quo, basically? And nothing had changed. 
and yet I reinvented the wheel. <laughs> right. Right. So sometimes we just real or imaginary decide that there's something we need to change or fix. Yeah. But I think there's something to be said for preparing and there's something to be said for trying to make changes and seeing how it goes, experimenting. You know, I mean, we can't just keep doing what we're doing because we need to try and optimize. We need to try and grow. We need to try and serve our clients in a better way. And how else do we, we have to change in order to do that. Okay. If it doesn't work, we can always go back to, you know, the old system and try something else. Well, I think that that is one thing that I love about you and the the few people that are in my very inner circle are all people who are willing to really try new things and be okay if it doesn't work out and then pivot and try something else or course correct. Yeah. Course correct is probably a better word. Everyone's talking about pivoting right now. It's not really pivoting though. It's testing. It's trying something and then taking the lesson and then trying something else. Right. Right. Although we should have a moment for all those days that you and I have experienced where, you know, we've worked so hard on breathing uh, life into something, usually over the course of an entire year. Yes. And then some, especially me, finding out that it doesn't work and being completely heartbroken at all the effort. Oh, yeah. Lots of broken hearts. It. Lots of broken hearts. And, and it's okay to mourn. And it's okay in the moment to say, you know what? I'm just never going to try again because it leads to squat. And then to say eventually, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to right. you know, fight another battle. What, what will I try now? And do you agree that that has made us stronger? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think I have watched you and I certainly feel more able-bodied to take on the next tra- challenge yeah, because, because of all the broken hearts. Because you see that the world doesn't end. Your business doesn't die, you know? Okay, you tried something and it didn't work. Boo-hoo. <laughs> Not the end of the world, yeah. I know, but I think a lot of people are really... I watch some people really scared to try something because what if it doesn't work? And if they try something and it doesn't work, regret having tried it. And that is something I used to feel that I have worked really hard on changing my mindset about. No regrets. You know, yeah. for better or worse, it did or didn't work, still so many great lessons in it and couldn't have known until I tried it. Yeah. And and I feel like the people I admire most, like you, really do that. You really, you know, think about the lessons. You don't let any, you know, it's it's so hard to call them mistakes, but okay, right. let's let's call them mistakes. But you don't let any of them go to waste, you know? I mean, you really They're not mistakes that. if you don't let them go to waste. That's right. I that's think exactly that's right. That's yeah. exactly right. And um, what was that old proverb? You knew about it. That Eeyore wrote about it in his book, the first one, about the, the farm. It's basically the idea that you don't know what's good and what's bad. Oh, do you mean the one with the boat? There might be You're another one. A farm? There's a Buddhist proverb about this guy and his son and this boat I don't remember exactly what it is, but like his son breaks his leg and it's the worst thing ever. And then everyone goes to war and his son can't go and it's the best thing ever. And it goes exactly. back and forth and back and forth. Exactly. It's, it's a farmer in okay. this version, but exactly. Oh, maybe. Okay. A farmer. Forth. Yeah. Where you label something one way and then soon after it turns out it's the best thing ever, as you say. And I think yeah. that's true of all our, you know, so-called mistakes is that's what informs the next move. 
Yes. More often than not, I mean, I feel like almost every successful entrepreneur that we know has a terrible, a disastrous thing that happened in their past. And they point to that and say, oh, it's only because that happened to me mm -hmm. that I'm doing what I'm doing right now. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh my gosh. Every, every great idea I've had in my business has come out of a horrible thing. Yeah. So can we really call it a horrible thing? Exactly. Well, <laughs> Tell my therapist that because she asked me the other day if I have you have you ever made a mistake? And I think she was I think she was challenging me. And I said, Well, it's semantics. I mean, I've made a bazillion mistakes in my life, but I try not to look at them as mistakes because they're all informing the next move, as you say. Yeah. And that's valuable. And isn't isn't it better for us to look at our mistakes as just a stepping stone? Absolutely. And even when even when you feel like maybe there's nothing that that you can take from it, I, honestly, I feel like it's a muscle. Putting yourself out there in order to make that mistake allows you to do it again, as we said, because you mm -hmm. don't, you know, you become more resilient. You see that the world doesn't crumble when you do it. So just like going to the gym, making mistakes should be the entrepreneurial gym. Basically, if you're not making mistakes, then something's wrong. Right. You're not trying anything not new. Trying. Yeah. And yet I think a lot of entrepreneurs try to not make mistakes, right? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's their op modus that operandus. I, I read or I saw, I don't know where I got this from, but I remember listening to some guy talk about how, and I really want to do this with Axel when he's a little bit older, how around the dinner table every night, him and his family talk about the mistakes that they made today and, and celebrate them because they are an indication that you were trying things. And I thought that was so beautiful because I think, I don't know about you, but I think I was raised not just in a family, just in a society of like mistakes are inherently negative. Like the word mistake has a negative connotation. And how beautiful would it be to raise a kid where they literally just don't have that association with the word mistake? Quite the yeah. opposite. They have a very positive relationship with the word mistake and how freeing that would be to just yeah. look for the things to do and, oh, oh, it didn't work. Oh, well, like that's life. Yeah. <laughs> I'd love to feel like that. I remember we talked about that dinner table. So the founder of Spanx, Sarah Blakely, had that growing up as well. Really? Yeah. Her oh, father wow. would ask of in school. <laughs> of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look at the result. Yeah. Um, yeah. I also thought it was it was really an incredible way to reframe, you know, the activity of trying something. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I was in, a, I brought this over to my goal setting process the idea of success and failure and trying to get away from the negative of failure. And I, I got that from a coaching program I did years ago. Every, every week when you report on what you did on your list, if you didn't do it, it's a failure. And when I first started doing that, I was like, why are you calling it a failure? Like that sounds so bad. And, you know, they said, because failure isn't bad. So just call it a failure, Pia. It's okay. And I was like, I didn't completely fail. I was like really <laughs> resisting it because it's so deep in my soul that failure is bad, but that really holds you back. If failure is bad, then you're trying doing everything you can to not fail. And then how are you supposed to try things that might fail? You're going to do them with such hesitance. Yeah. And really, I think at least with the way we think the biggest failure is not doing anything. So it's like, yeah. you know, we're, we're talking now about taking action 
and either failing or succeeding. But if you don't take action, if you just do nothing and you maintain the status quo, that's, that's the true failure. That's the true failure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think a lot of entrepreneurs mentally feel that way. And, and it's just a matter of connecting the, the mental, logical reasoning behind that with the gut. Yeah. With, with, the, with the conditioning that we have. Yeah. Which you're going to give Axel early on. And oh, he's not going to have any of this. Even, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't even know. Be a free bird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whereas we all work on it daily to try to convince ourselves. That... Right. I mean, I have come leaps and bounds That's in, awesome. in those feelings by, by first acknowledging it and then trying to habituate my brain to feel differently about it. I mean, I definitely feel... I feel like a completely different person in my head than maybe 15 years ago. That's not completely gone. Yeah. Yeah. And it probably never will be. I mean, probably some kernel of it will always remain. It's like fear is always going to be, you know, in the passenger seat of whatever we do. And And it's just human nature, right? Yeah. That's human nature. Yeah. Not wanting to get eaten by lions without fear. Yeah. I'll be dead. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It it serves a, a great purpose. As long as we try not to let it drive, sit in the driving seat, driver's well, seat. Well, that's what we're going to do every day. That's what I, I, I feel like working on that is actually working on your business. Yeah. Yeah. You know? I've taken a lot of time over the many years to just work on that stuff, which seems very some personal growth. It's personal growthy, but also sometimes even self-indulgent, like, oh, I'm just working on my own mental state. But I always look at it as, no, because I know that if I work on these things, it'll make my business more successful. I know it will, because those are the blocks. Right, right. That's what's stopping you from being the face of your business. Right, right. Even though I I know, even if you don't know, although you're seeing it now, I know that when you're the face of your business, it's going to make your business more successful. I know it. Yeah. I mean, it's a work in progress. <laughs> you know, slowly, <laughs> easy does it. I mean, I've resisted yeah, yeah, yeah. it for so many years. I'm just nudging you off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, just push me off. It's fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. So last thing, one of the other things that I love about how you show up for your business as a boss, and really what I'm talking about is not just showing up for your business as a boss, but it's like showing up in your life as a boss. So your business is one piece of it, right? Like I said before, you you use your business. Your business works for you to give you the life you want. And you do things that really show that. Like you don't do things you don't want to do. So, I mean, you, you know, obviously have people clean your house. Like you have people cook your food because you don't like to cook. And I, if I lived in Miami, I would use your cook and have them cook my food too. I have a thing about having people in my apartment for too long when I'm there. So that's an unfortunate clash. But you you spend money, you spend your money to to create that life and you don't necessarily, and that's really big picture thinking. And to me, that stems from being pretty clear about what you value. And so I was curious, just off the top of your head, like how do you rank some of the things that you value most in life? Oh my god! It's an easy question. Let's, well, you know what? Let's let's start with the cleaning. Okay. Because, <laughs> because I value that so much. When I, <laughs> I love that. when when I started New York Book Editors, I was making two thousand five hundred dollars a month, living in New York, Pia. Okay. Right. Living in New York. What do you think I did? I the first thing I spent money on. <laughs> 
was the cleaning. I mean, that was just, it's, it's such a, it's, it's such a high priority for me because I don't like to do it. I don't like to spend time on it. It drains my energy. And at the same time, if I have a clean apartment, I'm, you know, I'm happier, I'm more productive. So it was really, and I, I told everyone, as soon as I start making any money from this, this was after I, I left um, my job, I, I have to, I have to bring a cleaning lady on. <laughs> I so, love that. So many people, that is like the last thing they will spend money on. And I tell them it's one of the first things you should, because it's so much time. It's so much time. And it's so much, rel- so relatively cheap. And even if you, even if you don't think about the time that you spend, at least for me, it's a lot of energy, energy, tired after that, you know, Mm -hmm. do you spend half your Saturday and, and are like tired and you can't then actually use that sort of restorative time in the way that you should so that you're absolutely ready to go Monday morning, you know? So, so I think- that you can strategize and work on your business in ways that can make it thousands of extra dollars a month and, and not, absolutely. you know, $100, $150 that you pay your cleaning lady. Absolutely. So yeah, even when I clearly could not afford it by most people's standards, <laughs> I just wanted to say that I, that was a priority. <laughs> so you value cleanliness. I value cleanliness. And yeah, I think, sorry, your original question was how did I, how did I, come because I answered it a little bit differently. No, no, no. My question is more just do, like, and you don't have to have like the specific order necessarily, but I'm just curious, like, what do you, what do you think you I value. value most in life? Because I think we all make our decisions yeah. based on the things we value. And I don't necessarily yeah. think that we are all aware of what we value. I think our decisions show us what we value, but yeah. I was curious what you thought you valued. So I've always been acutely aware of my mortality. And this goes back to when I was a little kid. I mean, I turning 10 years old, I was so upset because I knew I'd have double digits for the rest of my life. That was the end of single digits forever. Okay. That's how, that's how weird I am. And so I've always been, I think that's why I mean, so many of the decisions I've made professionally have been driven by the fact that I feel like I have a limited amount of time. And I know you know the story about that big investment bank that I worked for initially and left very suddenly, but it was... Well, it, tell us the story. So I'll just say the name. It doesn't... Goldman Sachs. <laughs> <laughs> and I, you know, the, Goldman Sachs was sort of the dream job for all the the econ majors. I also studied English, but that was considered like my hobby major. And Goldman was my first real job internship. And it was, you know, I don't want to say on one hand, it was such an interesting experience. And on the other hand, I really did feel like to work there for any substantial period of time would be like a slow death. (laughs) I would imagine that, you know, for me. Mm How did you even end up there? Because it was where everyone wanted to go. So I applied, Mm. you know, I didn't Mm -hmm. even know the names of these companies, but they were like, oh, Goldman's the one, you know, that was the kind of, that's why I went to college. college. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's what they were talking about. So I just sort of went in and, and yeah, I mean, you know, the, the pay is great and the, the buildings are beautiful, et cetera, et cetera. And by the way, everyone who gets hired 
is so extroverted and good looking and smart. Mm -hmm. I just, mm -hmm. I mean, it's really the trifecta. I don't know how mm -hmm. they do it. And I don't know how they retain them. Money. Money, right. But as I mentioned, it wasn't, for me, time is just infinitely more valuable than money. So I just, I didn't understand. I, I didn't understand the appeal. And they, they offered me a full-time job. I told my parents, I just, and mind you, at the time, I also, I don't have a visa. I'm not an American citizen. So the weight of this decision is so much bigger wow. than for an American. But I just said, I can't do this. I can't accept this offer. And I didn't have another offer. I wasn't applying elsewhere. I hadn't had other internships. And my parents, I don't know, they pleaded with me. They, they you know, screamed at me. I mean, they were really afraid about my situation. And so I, I finally signed the, the offer letter. And then when I spent that entire last senior semester with a knot in my stomach, because I just mm. felt like I could not go there. I really, and I'm, I'm a very, you know me, I'm such a sort of, I, I, a happy person, but I really mm -hmm. felt like if I work there, I will jump off their roof, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And, and when I read about people from Goldman doing that, they're sort of, it's terrible. And so when the summer came, I, I didn't go. I ran away to Greece. <laughs> <laughs> I took my like, who just like didn't money. show up. Yeah. I think I had $5,000 <laughs> in the bank. That was it. That was everything. And I just didn't show up. I just couldn't do it. It's the, it's the only, I'm such a, I, I'm such a goody two shoes. I really did everything my parents ever, I mean, when I was 17 years old, I called my parents to ask them for permission to drink liquor. Okay. Really? Yes. <laughs> this is, this is the child that they had. But then when it came to this, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Like it was against every fiber of my being. I yeah. just couldn't do it. And, and it put me not going. It's not like I had fun. It put me into this state of depression because I understand the stakes and I understood what I was doing to my parents, which is, you know, like causing them the most concern that I, I could possibly imagine, but I just couldn't go. And, and this just stems from like just a really innate sense that, that time is so important. Actually, they, they had a goodbye party for me after the internship at Goldman. And one of the MDs, the managing director, got really drunk and said to me, you know, I'm, I'm about to go through a divorce and I feel like I've worked so much that I don't even know my kids. And wow. yeah. And I just looked at him and I thought, I don't want to be you. I mean, this is, you know, yeah. an, an MD at Goldman. Right. Oh my God. Most must people, be. Yeah. Yeah. Are That's what everyone wants to be. Yeah, right. that's what that's the point. Oh that's God. why you're there, right? I mean, yeah. And I I mean, I'm sure he doesn't remember saying that, but it just had such an effect on me. It just sort of confirmed everything that I had feared over that single summer. Wow. And uh, and I I I couldn't do it. But And then you just went to Greece, which is such a romantic way to <laughs> ditch your job. It sounds like it, it sounds like it. it was it was an act of was desperation because I wanted to put as much distance as possible between me and my parents. Oh, my God. friends were there, you know, it was like a graduation trip, but 
you know, you don't, I mean, given everything that was happening, it's not as if I truly enjoyed myself, although I did somewhat, but there was, you know, there's a, there's a cloud over my head. I mean, what the hell am I going to do next? I have sort of this temporary status for a little period of time, but it just, it just goes to show the extent that I was willing to, to go to, to just have the feeling that I was spending my time in the way that I wanted to, because I mean, life is so short. I would, I would second that and tell you that time is also my number one priority and value. A hundred percent. I mean, and honestly, you took the words right out of my mouth and that is fascinating. Maybe that's why we get along so much. Yes, that is, (laughs) no, that is a major part of it. And that's why, because a lot of the things that you would say and I would say would echo that value, that sort of deeply embedded value that we both have. Right. And now that I'm remembering it, it's because, so we met in EO and the whole point of EO, we were in the accelerator program is to get to a million yeah. And so everyone's talking about how to get to a million dollars in revenue. And the two of us just kept sitting back and being like, uh, we're way more concerned with our time. <laughs> we're way more concerned. Yeah, we want to make money, but like yeah. not at the expense of our time. Yeah, oh, that's great. <laughs> but yeah, you're not taking yeah. away the primary yeah. thing, are you? <laughs> I'm not doing that if I can't go on my trip and my vacation <laughs> and hire my cleaning lady and all those things. And that's why I think we clicked right away because it's different because people who are not aware, I think everybody, if you say that there, I think a lot of people will logically agree. Oh yeah, of course. Time, you know, is precious, but I don't know. I don't, I think that if you're prioritizing revenue or you're prioritizing growth and don't, and aren't doing it for a certain amount of time to get the time, because I, I prioritize growth sometimes, like you said, I mean, sometimes it's like buckle down, got to do this thing, but I'm doing it because in the long run, it's giving me more time. If it's not giving me more time, I'm not interested. Right. And right. that's just a certain underlying value. I guess I'll, I guess I'll spend this podcast finding out if the people that really I resonate with and, and are the kind of people that I'm talking about where you're showing your business who's boss, it's, it's really about people who value time more than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you know, I do think that it's it's not as common as money in this society. Yeah, you think? Yeah. Hmm. I mean, I agree with you that most people will say it is and think it is, but hmm. I think a good measure of that is what are you willing to give up hmm. to get time, right? And specifically, how much money, if that's what you value, are you willing mm-hmm. to give up in order to get time? And not to say that you can't have both. Of course, you can have you can grow yeah, the whole financially, goal. yeah. But right. in terms of, you know, what do you tend to prioritize? I right. Think that's and, a- and maybe not even how much money will you give up, but what are you willing to do for that time too, right? Because yeah. in Goldman yeah. Sachs, yeah. you do all these things you don't want to do yes. to create money. Yes. And there are so many ways to create money. And you mm-hmm. can do it in a way that doesn't, you know, doesn't suck your soul <laughs> out. And I think, yeah, I think that that's, that's absolutely true. It's not like all we want to do with our time is sit on the beach with a margarita. I think you, you actually tried that. You tried that. You tried getting out I of the did. rat race. Yeah. No, I tried, I, I tried to bypass this entire system. I went yeah. straight to the margarita on the beach. Yeah. And I'll tell you, it's not that fulfilling. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> not, exactly. I really thought it was though. I really was ready for that to be the answer. Right. I'm glad I had that experience because... If I hadn't, I think this entire time, I think I would have been building my business to get there. And I would have gotten there and sat down with my margarita and said, oh, crap. (laughs) 
<laughs> what was I working is. for? Which is what yeah. I expect, which is what I, I've heard a lot of people experience when they retire. I worked all this time and did all this work to get to this place. And now I'm retired and I don't know what to do with myself and I don't feel fulfilled. Yeah. Yeah. I think that a big part of what we need is, you know, a challenge and a purpose. It's not like all I, you know, it's not like time is just for sitting around, I think. But, you know, choosing that challenge and purpose and having it resonate with you and also having the time to sort of explore and travel, just have being in balance basically is key. And I, I think that, you know, there are institutions like Goldman Sachs that don't believe in balance. No, no, because they're for people who are not aware or don't prioritize their time. I mean, you can't work at Goldman Sachs and prioritize your time. Let's, Let's I think we can yeah. safely agree. I think everyone would agree with that. <laughs> I think that that is. And you might prioritize different things. So something I, know, I, I learned very recently is that I do, I prioritize feeling security, you know, financial security. I I do have a very deep need to have that security that looks different to different people. Security to me isn't money in the bank. I don't think money in the bank is secure at all, actually, because things can happen. And really, no matter how much money you have, it's still finite. But to me, security, financial security is actually having the ability to make money. So even when this COVID stuff happened, you know, I, I, I think I felt more fear than you did at, at many times, but I re- I felt comfort knowing I have lots of skills to make money. Yeah, you know, I mean, when I went into the dark place of like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And I, you know, I would do it with Steve because that's when I don't feel good or I feel fear. That's my exercise. It's like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it yeah, was still Steve was like, so we'll go live in a little town in the middle of nowhere and we'll set up shop. We'll do yeah. awesome. We'll run yeah. that town, Pia. <laughs> I was like, okay. You're right. I think we do just fine in a little town. So worst case scenario, we do that because we've got skills to make money. And that's that's security. That's an asset. That's an income producing asset that you that nobody can take away from you. Yeah, I do exactly the same thing. And I I had recently placed us in a fisherman's village. <laughs> so it's it's exactly the same. Yeah. Where okay, you know, at the very sort of worst case scenario, as you say, what and if when I'm comfortable with the worst case scenario, you know, I have the courage to face whatever else is coming. Right. Because that's my fallback plan. And it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've lived on a farm in a hut with one pan making fires <laughs> to cook my food. <laughs> it was not bad. It wasn't so it, I, it didn't have all the fulfilling things that my life has now in the way that I thought it would. But it's but I could, it could be if I, if I, that had to happen. And well, you've also worked so much on your mindset, right? Since then. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. So you'd probably yeah. approach it very differently. Very differently. Plus, I think we should all just go live in your parents' house in Montenegro. Yes. <laughs> that's, a, <laughs> that's a really good place for a worst case scenario to happen. That is the, an ideal I'm, for it. I'll yeah. just go down to the discotheque every night. Exactly. No money. It'll be totally fine. (laughs) Yeah. Everything is super cheap. You can, you know, we can earn enough to get by. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Sounds like a plan, Natasha. Sounds like a plan. I wanted to tell you really quickly, um, Steve, I I don't remember who it was, though. I want to say it was Picasso, but I don't remember. He just told me. I think I know what uh, you're saying. This this is this is what happens all the time with when he someone in an alleyway asked him to do a portrait. No. Oh, no. you tell yours first. 
And he, he did a quick sketch. I think it took him, you know, 30 seconds or a minute. I don't remember exactly. And he says, he handed it over to her and said something like $3,000, please. And um, she said, what do you mean? It took you, you know, 30 seconds to, to draw this. And he said, yeah, but it took 30 years to get to this place where I can produce something like this in 30 seconds. You know, so it's, I thought really? that was your story. That? Yeah. Oh, well, Steve that's stole the, the... that because whenever <laughs> Steve, well, Steve stole that because whenever Steve, um, anyone asks him how long he takes to make a painting, he says, you know, however old he is, this painting oh, took yeah. 38 years. What do you mean? <laughs> it took everything until now. That's, a, painting. that's an even better answer because it contains an essence of who he was as a child and his, his per perceptions. And yeah, that's well. Great. And also, I mean, I've watched his progression as an artist it really is an evolution that requires all the steps yeah it's really fun where did we go we went to the picasso museum i guess it was in barcelona and they had all of his old work and all and a lot of his notebooks and old sketches and stuff and it was really fun to see again through the eyes of steve having watched him and his art career because his sketches look you know steve has piles of moleskins of sketches you know i mean it's, and and drawings and stuff and i was like these aren't better than yours of wow. course not this is yeah. picasso having learning how to be an artist like he wasn't always picasso he was just yeah. like some some snot-nosed kid drawing in a book exactly yeah like anybody else yeah but it's hard to see it that way yeah and talk about pricing right this this woman who balked at the sketch was getting a great deal right yeah, <laughs> yeah. she took it yeah no, the thing I wanted to share with you, just because I thought you would like this, and I can't remember what it was. Somebody said, the meaning of life is to find your gift and the purpose of life is to give it away. Oh, that's beautiful. And I thought that was really inspiring. Yeah. And yours is to help other people beautiful. find their gift in a way, definitely to give it away, but also sometimes yeah. it, ever to find it as well. I, I vibed with that because it gave some structure to the things that I think we're all doing, which is like trying to figure out like, what is our thing? Yeah. What fulfills us all of that, which is really to find your gift. And then the beauty of giving it away is like, well, what, you know, what value does it have if you can't share it with others in some way? Absolutely. Absolutely. I like that. I'll have to That's figure beautiful. out who that was. Could have been anyone. <laughs> Wasn't it Pia? <laughs> it was, was that me that said that? I have a we'll podcast. Just <laughs> we'll just say it was me. That's what people do on the internet now. They just repeat things and then say it was them. Okay. Well, we didn't talk at all about your actual business. So you're going to have to come back on to do that. <laughs> we'll talk about writing books and editing books and all of that next time you come. Okay. That sounds great. If, if you'll have me back, if the comments are not, oh my God, who yeah. is the person? Please. Please write some reviews about how awesome Natasha is so that oh, we can no. boost her ego so that she'll do more videos and also go watch her videos. You have to link to your YouTube on your website, by the way. Oh, I'm just yeah. Just to give you some feedback right now. I had to Google it. Yeah, I don't know how to do that. <laughs> well, call your tech guy. I think one of them is in the other room. <laughs> yeah, no, no. You need to link to it on your website, but everybody listening should totally go watch. Go to her you know, newyorkbookeditors.com and also go find the YouTube channel because there's some great videos of Natasha giving amazing content and ideas. And plus you can watch my interview, which is 
Insightful. Which is incredible. I mean, when it comes to marketing your book and also self-publishing, you give so much great advice. I mean, everything, as you said, you did it in order to, partly in order to, to figure out what works and what doesn't and teach other people. And it was absolutely a killer video. There you go. That's why I have a lot to share. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So you guys should go watch those. And if you're thinking about writing a book, then you should definitely go watch those and also read all of their amazing blogs and, uh, you know, hire them to edit your book. I will be for my next book. Thanks, Natasha. Thank you so much for having me. If you're thinking about writing a book or have one in the pipeline, definitely go to newyorkbookeditors.com for their amazing articles and maybe even to find an editor for your book. Plus, you should definitely check out Natasha on their YouTube channel for stellar writing advice and inspiration. You'll also find her interview with me there, where I share all kinds of juicy details about how I self-published and then self-marketed my book and got over 100 reviews on Amazon in the first month. The link to all of this will be in the show notes. Also, if you know other entrepreneurs who struggle to put their business in its place and could benefit from hanging out with us, please share this podcast with them. Hard work can only take you so far. It's how you show up in your business that makes the difference. And to make sure that you don't miss an episode of Show Your Business Who's Boss, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast player. I'll leave you with this. Taking inspiration from Natasha today, take some time to list the things that you most value in life and ask yourself if you are truly making time for them. That may look like outsourcing things you hate doing, like maybe cleaning. And that might just be the first step in showing your business who's boss. Show Your Business Who's Boss is produced by Yellow House Media. Production coordinator is Sean McMullen. This episode is edited by Marty Seafelt. Production assistance by Kristen Runvik. Creative direction by Steve Wasterball. Our theme music is Glass Prisms by Western Runners. 